When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And the papers again full of some of the most heartbreaking scenes again coming out of Ukraine. And last week, uh, when I was talking about pictures that were making the papers, one photograph that I had spoken about was an image that had really encapsulated the grim toll of what this Russian invasion is doing on the people of Ukraine. And it was the photograph, and actually there was video footage, I'm sure, of it as well, of the heavily pregnant woman who was being carried out on a street from the Mariupol Maternity Hospital that had been bombed last week and it was just moments after it had been shelled they were, there was frantic efforts to get the pregnant women out of the hospital and of course there was a children's hospital so there was parents fleeing with very sick children in their arms but there was one heavily pregnant woman being carried out by four men on a stretcher and you could see her, she had her her her, her hand around her very heavily pregnant uh, stomach. You could see her hip was covered in blood. There was a, what looked like a very deep gash on her thigh. Her skin was like a really dreadful pale colour and her eyes were just, I mean, while her eyes were open, they just had this glazed look as if to say, you know, my God, what is going on? I'm in labour, I'm about to give birth and the hospital gets uh, bombed. Uh, Now, the woman hasn't been uh, identified and yes, she had got to the maternity hospital to give birth to uh, her baby and unfortunately it was announced yesterday that both uh, the mum and her newborn baby had both uh, died. It seems she was rushed to another hospital on the outskirts of Mariupol. She was assessed by the doctors and the surgeons there. They realised her pelvis had been crushed. Her hip had been detached. My God, the agony the woman must have been in. And uh, they they knew immediately that they had to go in and do a C-section. So they did. The surgeon performed the C-section. The baby showed no signs of life. Then they turned their attention immediately to the mother. But they said all their attempts to save her were uh, futile and you can imagine the chaotic scenes following the bombing of the hospital and then this other smaller hospital in the outskirts were trying to take the injured and the wounded and you know rushing people that needed to be rushed to uh, surgery so there was so much chaos going on and as soon as this woman arrived they obviously knew immediately that they had to take her to theatre so nobody got any time to record her name so they they don't have her name or any of her details all they do know uh, was that her husband and her father turned up at the hospital then they had to be told that mum 
and baby hadn't uh, made it. And the surgeon actually said he was relieved when he heard that relatives had at least come and were able to take identify the body and take the body and the body of the baby away and that they were able to then give her some kind of a proper burial because otherwise that mother and that little newborn baby would have ended up in one of the mass graves. There's so many mass graves now around uh, Mariupol and they've no other choice but there's just so many people being killed uh, in that uh, city and that's the city that has just been bombarded on a daily basis by the Russian rockets and shells. It's been going on now for almost uh, two weeks and it's Definitely it is the city that is suffering the worst of the humanitarian impact of the war. They reckon at this stage as many as two and a half thousand civilians have already died just in that one city of Mariupol. And of course they've had little access to food. They haven't had water for weeks. They haven't had power. They haven't had heat. There's been no electricity. And there's been so many attempts to try and get humanitarian aid in. But the Russians keep keep stopping it. They really are trying to starve out this uh, city. Now, there was a glimmer of hope yesterday that humanitarian corridor opened up and seemingly several hundred people managed to uh, leave the city. But I did hear a report last night that while the people were leaving the city, when people were trying to get in with humanitarian aid, they were fired at and they were stopped. So while some people managed to get out, but there's still tens of thousands of people trapped in that particular uh, city. And one girl just by the name of Alina, she didn't want to give her surname. She was speaking to uh, reporters uh, and she's you know extremely worried because her parents are trapped in the city and they've been unable to get out. They've made a couple of attempts to get out. They even tried to get out on foot and they were stopped and had to go back to their apartment and she's obviously frantically worried about her parents but she made the uh, point yesterday that you've got the Russian state media who are continuing to portray that the siege on Mariupol is a man-made disaster that they're saying is orchestrated by the Ukrainian nationalists. And this girl, uh, Alina, is saying, how can anyone in Russia really believe that and she said she used to be so angry about it and she said at this stage now she's just dumbfounded she said how can anyone seriously believe that Ukrainians themselves are bombing their own people and she said she's really you know she's gone from annoyance to just being absolutely dumbfounded because remember this maternity hospital the Russians straight away put out that that was fake news and that the rest of the western world and the Ukrainians are putting out fake news and they said that that maternity hospital wasn't being used as a maternity hospital that instead the Russians were saying that it was being used as a base uh, for soldiers and there was absolutely zero evidence of that because as soon in the aftermath of the bombing all the world saw was pregnant women like that young mother who now we know has died with her baby. That's all we saw. We saw pregnant women, you know, stumbling down stairways trying to get out of a heavily bombed building. All we saw from the children's hospital side of that complex was parents coming out with little babies and young young children, very sick young children. There was no evidence of at all that it was being used as a base for uh, soldiers. But that's the fake news that the Russians were putting out. And then Talking of fake news, what a brave, brave woman. Uh, This happened on Channel One, which is the state run. This was in uh, Russia. It was an anti-war protester. She interrupted a live 
news broadcast. It was on Channel One and she was she held up a sign that was written in Russian and in English saying no no to war. It's a woman by the name of Maria Ovasanakova. She's an editor. She works at Channel One and she appeared in the background of the National News Bulletin yesterday evening that they were obviously I don't know whether it was the main six o'clock news was been was was going on live, a little bit like RRTE or the BBC or ITV or Virgin Media, all live news broadcasts. And while the news reader is facing cameras, reading out the news, she stepped on, made sure she was on camera, right behind the news reader, holding up this sign that says, do not believe the propaganda, they are lying to uh, you. Now, it seemingly she also recorded a message and shared a video message to social media before she did it, where she explained that her dad is Ukrainian and that she was ashamed to be working for what she called the Kremlin propaganda. She said, I'm ashamed that I've left Russian people become zombified. She said, what's happening in Ukraine is a crime. She said, we sat silent in 2014. That was when they Next Crimea. Uh, all of this was starting. We didn't do anything about it. She said we didn't go out and protest when Alexei Navalny got poisoned by the Kremlin. And then she went on to say, this was on the piece she put up on social media before she went on camera. She said the responsibility for all this aggression, she says, lies with one person and that person is. And she called him out, Vladimir Putin. Later in the video then, she announced that the Russian government are an anti- human regime uh, for launching this war and she says the entire world now are turning their back on us and then she says we are the Russian people we're the only ones who can stop this madness and she urged people to take to the streets do not be afraid she said they can't arrest all of us so she put that up on her social media and then when she appeared on the screen just holding this homemade it's just a homemade uh, sheet where she put up no to war and then it's written in uh, Russian that they're lying to you that this is Propaganda so appeared on the screen. Now it only lasted a couple of seconds, but I'm I'm assuming a lot of Russians would have seen it. And then obviously the producers behind the scene quickly scrambling, and they moved to a studio. They moved from the studio shot to some clip about uh, a hospital. That the station then released a statement saying that it's currently probing the incident regarding the outsiders' presence during a live broadcast. So they even lied about the fact of who it was. They weren't they weren't dare going to admit the truth that it was somebody. Who who works and had been working with their news uh, team. Obviously, she's been uh, detained by the Russian police for questioning because that's illegal. That has been made an illegal act to do anything that uh, that firstly calls out the, the military operation as a war. And she can expect jail for up to uh, 15 years. We'll see if we can keep an eye and find out any more about her because the world's attention is going to be on this particular journalist and uh, because every media that I could see around the world pick up, picked up on what she actually did at that live uh, broadcast. And then another piece that seems to be doing the rounds on social media that really is stunning is to do with, and I don't have a name now on this, this young uh, woman. She is from Kiev. And her apartment, unfortunately, got bombed. So she went back to her apartment, obviously, to pick up whatever she could rescue from her apartment. But she also went back to her apartment because she wanted to play her piano one last 
time and the apartment had was attacked and bombed all the windows you can see it, it went up on TikTok all the windows have been smashed in and the curtains are swaying uh, in the wind you can see all the internal doors have been blown off the off the hinges there's rubble all over the place and she went in and sort of dusted down the you know knocked off the dust and debris that was on the uh, piano and then she sat down and here she is playing her piano And that's just so poignant. She just felt before she was obviously going to have to leave uh, Kiev, but she just wanted to go in and play her piano for the very, very uh, last time. Uh, they are just, and she's such a gifted pianist uh, as well. It's kind of the reality of war, is it not? Irish Water have been on. They just want us to remind listeners uh, that are supplied by the Kilavolum Public Water Supply, the boil water notice that was put in place on the 28th of February. They just want to remind people that that remains in place. So if you're getting your water from Kilavolum Public Water Supply, you still need to continue to boil your water for all human use. Okay, it remains in place as soon as it is lifted. They will let us know. Text our WhatsApp's open at 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. For the last few weeks, the Irish Red Cross has been accepting offers of both shared and vacant accommodation and as of the weekend, almost 15,000 offers had been pledged to talk about the response and what people can expect. I'm joined from the Irish Red Cross by their Secretary General and that is Liam O'Dwyer. Good morning to you Liam. Good morning Patricia. And and listen I appreciate you taking time out because I I know how busy you all are at the Irish Red Cross. Uh, Liam are you taken aback by the huge number of Irish people willing to open up their homes to Ukrainian war refugees? I am actually. I think it's an amazing response to Irish people because it's a it, it's a massive thing to to be able to say, listen, we're able to provide accommodation um, for people who uh, are coming from a war torn country like that. So it's it's a tremendous response, uh, and the volume of it uh, has has surprised us because I suppose in the past we're used to receiving offers of accommodation, but uh, at a completely different level in terms of you know four or five hundred up to nine hundred. Um, say for our um, friends from Syria when they came here. So this is quite an unprecedented response. And what is the breakdown? Is it, is it mainly shared accommodation? People <clears throat> saying, "I've got a bedroom. I've two bedrooms free in my home." It, it is. It's thirty uh, percent. Uh, they'd be just houses by themselves, so uh, a house that uh, that's empty, um, and then the seventy percent will be shared accommodation. And have the good people of Cork stepped up to the mark? Oh, they have. Uh, they have indeed. <laughs> and uh, a very substantial number, um, uh, circa 14, 15% of what we've received has come from Cork. Brilliant. And um, so uh, Dublin, Cork, Galway would, uh, for obvious reasons, I suppose, be the, um, the top locations in terms of people responding to this. Now, what happens now? When can people expect to hear from the Red Cross? Because I take it that's what's going to happen. Yes, the, the, the first part of it, this is quite a, um, a proceed, we follow a particular procedure with this. So the first piece in the procedure is we call people just to verify their information, verify the pledge, and then so that they understand what the commitment is, is in relation to. 
So th- those calls are taking place at the moment. And I think what's a bit unusual this time is that we have, we've had to use a call centre because we couldn't possibly ourselves make this number of calls. So um, people will receive uh, a telephone call uh, uh, over the next two weeks. Um, already we have made a significant number of them, and now we're just continuing on over the next two weeks to call everybody. That's the first piece. And from the initial calls, then, we already have identified a couple of hundred properties. And the next piece is we need to go and to have a, a, a look in terms of to see uh, if the property is uh, what was agreed and is it suitable. Um, so that will be the next piece. So people will get a telephone call to say that someone is calling uh, to have a, a look at the property. There's no, it's not a detailed investigation. It's more around health and safety and to meet the pledger as well. Um, so that's that's what that is. And then after that, then the department, uh, the I, I, Irish Refugee Protection Programme, will send us a list of the people who are to be accommodated, and we'll match one with the other. And our caseworkers then would bring them to the house. Okay, because I know the numbers who have come in so far compared to the likes of of Poland are a very small number. But the amount of refugees that have come in so far, they in the main, Liam, have gone to family members that are already living in Ireland. Isn't that the case? Well, two. Family members, yes. Um, And family members, I want to be very fair, have also organised accommodation themselves with friends in the vicinity. So there's our formal pledge system. Um, and that's something that the government have asked us to do, and they keep an eye and monitor that. We, we, we agree with government how that is, is done formally, um, whereas there's the open uh, pledges uh, whereby family members then have contacted their friends and say, listen, will you take somebody? And uh, that, that is happening already all over the country informally. Um, as well as that, then the government have put in place emergency accommodation and reception centres, and the Irish Red Cross then are at the airports and the ports to meet and greet and to assist the uh, the people to those uh, reception centres. And for for families that have put forward a spare room or a vacant property, how long are you asking them to commit their home or property? Six months is the uh, is the time frame that we put on it. So uh, six months to a year is the ideal time frame. Uh, I, I suppose we expect in this case, we're, we're saying six months, but we do expect it, it might be shorter because, but it, it's dependent on the war. It's dependent on, uh, you know, if, if the war stops, obviously I would imagine um, many Ukrainian people would want to go home to their, to their own, to their families and to their homes. But for the moment, we're certainly saying six months minimum. Okay, now, particularly in parts of West Cork, we would have a lot of people with holiday homes, but some of them could be in very rural and very isolated. Are they not suitable for a family? Um, Well, it's normally the answer to that is no, they're not. Um, And it it all depends on the family makeup. Uh, I I must be frank. I mean, if, if the family has young children, school-going children. Um, obviously, schools have to be uh, uh, close by. There's shops. Shopping is needed. Um, connection with, I, I suppose, the local community. All of these things are very important to enable a person to be part of a community. Um, but look, we, we take each of these on the basis of what, what's the offer, where the location is, and then 
which refugee family is going into that property because it does depend on the refugee family and their needs. Yeah, because somebody's just sent in a text that would really love to help with housing uh, for the Ukrainian refugees, but it's, the, the house is very rural. Nearest bus route would be 10 miles away. Could you ask, would that be unsuitable? For most refugees, that would be. Um, uh, but that doesn't, I, I, I don't want I, I don't. we don't write off any problems. I know, I know. Everybody, everybody coming in is different. I mean, look, some, some people, the fact that something is rural may suit some people, but largely our experience would say that um, that's not the, the, the place we tend to put uh, refugees. OK, somebody else is saying, I would love to offer a room in my house, but I'm afraid about the costs that would be involved in housing another family. I'm barely making ends meet at the moment. The electricity costs, for example, uh, would really go up. Will there be any help for families? Yeah, there should be no cost to a host family in relation to this matter. So the refugees themselves will have their social welfare payments and uh, they will contribute themselves, obviously, and pay their uh, electricity bills and other bills. Uh, and the Irish Red Cross has always been there just to tide people over for a period. Um, and that money then is repaid to the Irish Red Cross by the IRPP, the, the protection programme. All right. So don't let don't let that put anybody off if, no, if you exactly. have, uh, particularly yeah. if you have a, a um, suitable, uh, uh, yeah. suitable uh, house. Um, and... Of course, you've no way of knowing, Liam, how many will need shelter in this country. No, this is, and I mean, that's why I suppose I'm, I'm asking people really for patience. This, this really is unusual from, from all perspectives um, because, A, the volume of uh, the, the wonderful response from the Irish people, uh, like 15,000, is, is a massive response and there's a massive amount of work in communicating with that number of people. Uh, equally then, we know there's five and a half thousand people are here at this stage from Ukraine and, um, you know, the war is continuing. So that is likely to grow. Uh, so again, we don't know uh, how many people are going to be here. And while it's been incredible the way people are willing to open up their homes and their hearts, are you still receiving a huge re- response to the financial donations, Lee? Yes, we are. Uh, we are. People have, look again, it's extraordinary generosity. Um, we're at over 15, 15 and a half million at this stage has been contributed and uh, we're now moving that money out uh, to to Ukraine, to Poland, to Slovakia um, just to ensure that, um, you know, we're making a difference on the ground. OK, and just finally, Michael says, Patricia, in the UK, they in England, they're paying £350 sterling a month to any family who will host a Ukrainian refugee. And they got 45,000 replies in the first oh. week. Uh, what is, uh, will Ireland, the Irish government, be paying anything to families? Uh, no, not, not at the moment anyway. That's not the, that's not the, the plan. OK. All right, listen, Liam, we leave it there. No doubt we'll speak again. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Good morning to you. That is Liam O'Dwyer, who is Secretary General of the Irish Red Cross, just for anyone who has here in Cork, because I think it's the second highest after Dublin with the number of people pledging either a bedroom or 
a vacant property, you will be uh, contacted firstly by phone. So have patience. If you haven't been contacted yet, you should get a call soon. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Diesel rationing for truck drivers as a result of the escalating energy crisis will not be acceptable. That was according to the Irish Road Haulage Association. To discuss this issue further, I'm joined by Kevin McPartland, who is CEO of Fuel for Ireland, which is the group that represents food uh, supply, fuel suppliers. Good morning to you, Kevin. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Our supply rationing diesel to haulage firms at the moment? I don't, I don't think we could say that they're, they're, they're rationing. I think what is going on right now, uh, and it was particularly more of a problem last week when prices were uh, increasing on an almost daily basis, or perhaps not even almost on a daily basis, uh, that fuel companies were limiting the amount that they were supplying because some people were trying to buy early and in greater quantities than they would normally do in order to try and get ahead of prices, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do for a business. But what that, what that was doing was putting a real pressure on supply. So we had to make sure that we could keep all of the pumps fueled, make sure that everybody could get what they needed, even if that meant that we weren't able to release quite as much as we would like to. Yeah, because the Road Haulage Association was saying that they need reassurance of fuel supply for their needs. So you could understand why they might be against rationing. Well, as I say, I don't think I'd, I'd call it rationing. I think we would say that People were given the, I mean, the way this works is they're given an allowance. So so hauliers will predict what they are likely to need each month if they're buying in bulk, which most of them do. And what was happening was people were saying, well, you can have what you predicted you were going to need and no more. Because, um, and, and, and reasonably, people were trying to get ahead of price rises. So they were ordering earlier and in greater quantities. And that was putting a pressure on the overall national supply. So we had to manage that to make sure that everybody had what they needed. It's, it's, it's the old Rolling Stones thing. You, you, you know, you might not get what you want, but you'll get what you need. And that was what was happening, particularly last week. I think it's reduced quite a lot now. Yeah, uh, I see, uh, you know, what we don't need, uh, and this is right across the board, uh, Kevin, is panic buying. Exactly. That's the point. And look, and, and, and just to give a reassurance on that, we have absolutely, we have adequate uh, fuel stock to meet normal levels of demand. And we have plenty coming in to continue meeting normal levels of demand. So, well, yes, there was a real pressure on prices recently. Uh, there isn't a pressure on stock. But what we can't have is people putting a pressure on stock by over-ordering and, and always kind of running off the top of their tank for several weeks. But we did. But we are hearing from listeners with home heating oil. They're, they're only allowed to get a half a tank of home heating oil. That's a similar thing. So, so people... I, I know from anecdotally that some people have been told that they can order 500 litres as a maximum. And, you know, you know, again, it's that same situation. People were trying to get ahead of the price. And, and let's be honest, there are very few people ordering home heating oil uh, as prices are going down, as they have done in the last couple of days. So there was this real spike of demand as prices were going up very quickly. People wanted to fill their tank. They were afraid that it, they would continue going up and that it would become unaffordable. Perfectly reasonable thing to do. But what that meant was that there was a real spike in demand. We were afraid that we might not be able to meet all of the demand. So we said, listen, we can give a maximum of 500 litres, which unless you live in Yanaris and Uteran will last you for a good few weeks, you know, a couple of months probably. 
um, and we were saying that that was the limit that we were delivering at that point in time. Yeah. And it was a short-term measure just to make sure that everybody could get what they needed. Yeah, because we, we had people who were completely had run out of oil and, and, and needed to get it. The National Oil Reserve Agency, are they saying we have enough oil stores? They absolutely are. And it's worth explaining to listeners what the National Oil Reserve Agency is. So under international treaty law, the country must hold 90 days worth of stock. So 90 days worth of diesel, petrol and kerosene. In case there ever were to be a, a, a kind of a, a real emergency, a real lack of supply in the country, we're absolutely not at that point. So that's the first thing that we need to say. But the National Oil Reserve Agency does hold that stock. If we did have an issue with uh, being able to get hold of, of oil products, they would be able to release that, put it into the market, and they would supply my members uh, who could then carry on continuing customers. Is there any merit in the suggestion from the Fianna Fáil Transport spokesperson, James O'Connor, saying that the National Oil Reserve Agency should double their capacity in light of the current situation? I think in the light of the current situation, it would be very difficult for them to double their capacity at the moment because prices are still high. Uh, so we would be buying at a very inflated market. The, the, there isn't uh, an abundance of supply out there on an international market. So to try and suddenly acquire 90 days uh, demand for the whole country would be an extremely challenging thing to do. I don't think it's an especially credible uh, proposition, to be honest. OK, and are, we, and are we now starting to see the reduction, particularly in the excise duty at, at the pumps? I mean, I know last week there was a lot of anger with some people believing that from midnight when it was announced the 15 cent and the 20 cent off the litre of diesel and petrol, that it would come in immediately. And of course, that isn't how it works. It's not, because all of the fuel that was on forecourts at midnight last Wednesday night had already had the duty paid at the higher level. So it was, it was a little bit, um, should we say, confusing for, for the public when, when ministers started talking about it being able to be felt from midnight that night. That was never going to happen. And, and let's be honest, what has happened in that time since last Wednesday was not only has the excise duty uh, reduction been passed on, and it has been completely passed on by all fuel supply members at every stage of the supply chain that we have control over, uh, but also you will have seen that the wholesale fuel prices have dropped. So you will see a real radical difference. And, and by last week, people were talking about how quickly prices were going up. I think people could pay attention now to how quickly they've come down in the last couple of days uh, because there's those two key elements of the price that have both um, reduced at the same time. Actually, I was looking only this morning and, you know, conscious that you were coming on with me as well, but that I, I passed two garages on the way to work and certainly last week, both garages, they were over the two euro mark for both diesel and petrol and both of them now are, one of them was down at 179. So they are certainly coming down. I, I know myself, Patricia, uh, that I was, I was doing an interview for RT last uh, Friday and as I drove up the dual carriageway, the, the price at the petrol station was one ninety nine uh, for petrol. And as I was driving back down, it was one seventy two. <laughs> so, I mean, you know... Wouldn't you be yeah. kicking yourself if you got it on the way up? Well, I have to tell you, I got it on the way back. <laughs> but but, but it, is, it is realistic to say that things have been extremely volatile. And, and we're very, very aware of that. We're very aware of the pressure that it's put on, on consumers. And, um, you know, we, we can only say that we are victims of an international market and, and there is very little control that we have over final prices. We do need government to keep looking at, at, at uh, taxes. We think that they do need to look at VAT. Um, and, and we, we, you know, we're pleased that there's talk of that at the moment, but it needs to happen quickly. 
Okay, and one other issue that came up last week, Kevin, when we were talking about the the high prices, one of our listeners was in a garage and he said the guy in front of him really berated the young girl who was working in the garage about the cost of whatever he was paying for his his diesel. And you know, the young girl in the garage got get really upset. And you know, this one of our listeners contacted us saying, you know, hang on, it's nothing to do with the girl who you go to pay for your petrol or your diesel. Have you have you heard about much about that from your members? Are some staff getting a bit of abuse from members yeah, of the general public? We have we've, we've heard quite uh, a lot of people getting subject to, to abuse and even threats, and and it's completely out of order because you know while I can say on behalf of my members they don't have control over the global commodity prices, you can be guaranteed that the person standing behind the till in in the garage at the Sparwell in Mallow or the Mallow Plaza or whatever have absolutely zero control and people need to have a small bit of cop on and uh, and, and realise that they, they, they need to behave themselves. Yeah, it's not fair. Manners, yeah. It really is not fair. OK, Kevin, listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Always a pleasure, Patricia. Thanks. Good morning to you. That is Kevin McPartland, who is CEO of Fuels for Ireland, the group that represent fuel uh, suppliers. But have people, know, I certainly, as I say, because Kevin was coming on this morning, I took a particular note of the prices at the at the the pumps this morning and actually as I was driving I noticed a gentleman in a car who was kind of like craning his neck to look up at the prices on the forecourt but certainly they are they are coming down almost as quickly as they went up in fairness last week there's a huge difference between prices at the pumps last week and prices at the pumps this week but you definitely do need to shop around and know the price of say your local garage and then when you're out and about you know, keep that, keep whatever the price is in your head. And then if you pass another garage, you can get, you know, five, ten cent of a variation per litre. And if you're filling up your tank, that can be quite a saving. So we all need to be more price conscious on what we're paying. And I think we are, to be fair. I still see a lot of questions coming in about hosting the refugees from the Ukraine. And in the main, I think people are worried about the cost of if, you know, if you're living on a, a very limited budget, would you be able to afford to feed, say, if you were taking in a mother and a child, would you be able to afford to feed two extra and with electricity charges and all of that? Remember that when the refugees arrive, particularly those that will arrive with absolutely no money and some of them will arrive with no money, they will be entitled to social welfare so they'll have a payment every every week so the idea would be that they'll have their own money to you know to buy their own bit of food or whatever and pay towards say something like the cost of electricity like Joe in Kilmalik uh, says um, do you have to provide food for them all of the time or, or will they have money to purchase their own food they will have money because they Either, you know, some will obviously come with their own uh, savings, but for many of them they won't. But they will be entitled, as I say, to a social welfare payment. And I know also that while the accommodation is to be provided on a charitable basis, a homeowner can also, according to the Red Cross, you can uh, receive the housing, the HAP. According, you can go under under a HAP arrangement if it's a house that you're giving, you're handing over a vacant uh, property. But Limo Dwyer from the Red Cross says that nobody should be put off taking in a refugee, thinking they won't be able to afford it. There will be uh, supports available uh, to them. But certainly the refugees themselves will have their own 
social welfare payment, which which I'm assuming can contribute in some way towards the cost of electricity, etc., and to be able to buy their own food. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103, very proud to be supporting the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day, which is going to be held Friday week, the 25th of March. Now, daffodils will be available and are already available from many volunteers all over the city and county. And of course, money raised on Daffodil Day help fund free cancer support services and life-changing cancer research. And because of COVID and restrictions, there hasn't been a daffodil day for the last two years so I think this one is going to be a really really special one on Daffodil Day Friday the 25th of March if you would like to take part or if you would like to donate you can go to cancer.ie but we are encouraging and will be encouraging certainly on the day itself to make sure people go out and buy one of the daffodils and I'm always saying to people on the day make sure you wear them because it's lovely walking around on Daffodil Day to see people with the yellow daffodil and I also think it encourages others when you see some with the yellow daffodil on their lapel. It's always daffodil day. I must make sure that I buy my daffodil. So please do what you can this year. They're a wonderful organisation, the Irish Cancer Society. Now, John has been on to us. This is to do with the new census forms and I'm assuming census forms are starting to be delivered across the city and county, even though I keep seeing census people kind of standing outside somebody's door and having to you know, write a little note because uh, obviously they're finding it difficult to find everybody in and they have to physically, where possible, hand the census form to the person inside in the house and they just ask a quick a few questions at the door. But it's very easy to spot the census people. They've got the high-vis jackets on and you know, the census is written on it. They've got the laminated identity badge with them. They've got a satchel that says uh, census. So, you know, there's no fear that if they come to somebody's door that you won't know who they are. They are the people from the census, but people need to interact with them so that they can hand over the census form. Now, John obviously has received his census form and he's been going through it. And the one thing he's noticed is the question on religion. On, On the question on religion, the part for non religion has been moved to the top of the list from the bottom of the list and John is wondering what is the reason for that. If you don't have any religion then you'll get to the box anyway by leaving it at the bottom. Who made the decision to put non-religion at the top of all of the choices? And John is wondering, do other people have views on it? Have other people noticed that on their census form? Well, I know that one group who are advocating for people to tick the no religion box are the Humanist Association of Ireland. They're calling on people if you have no religion or if you don't practice a religion, then you should tick the no religion box. But what happened was, I know the Humanist Association were one, along with other organisations, they made representation to the Census Advisory Group. Now, the Census Advisory Group are the group that sit down and work out 
what questions are going to be asked, what's going to be the format of the next census. And actually, when we had somebody on from the Census Statistics Office talking about the census the first Sunday in April, they were saying, she was telling us that they're already working on the census for five years' time. I mean, a lot of work goes into the planning of the census, the type of question and what format the question is going to be to be in. So there was representations made by, as I say, the Humanist Association of Ireland and other organisations. And because of that, the Census Advisory Group agreed to change the wording of the census religion question from what is your religion, if any? And then you tick the box and they decided to put no option as the first option on the religion question checklist and then there's all other religions I, I can't remember how many religions now are on it I don't have the form in front of me uh, but no religion is the one that is up on top it normally is the last John is right it's normally the last of the list of options but they've put it in as the first uh, this time around but John what's, what is interesting if you look back on the statistics from the Central Statistics Office with regard to the census our last census was in 2016 and from that census, the figures for the no religion category almost doubled from the previous census in 2011. It went to, there was an increase of 73.4% of people saying that they have no religion. Uh, So that meant that the no religion category was then the second largest category behind Roman Catholics with one in 10 Irish citizens identifying as having no religion. And no religion can mean that they were, they were once a particular religion and that they no longer practice. And there is always the feeling that people tick the box. They mean Catholics is the obvious one in this uh, country. And a lot of people, because they were baptised, they made the communion and the confirmation and perhaps were married in the, in the Catholic Church, even though they've never, they're not practising and haven't practised for many years. But when they're asked their religion, they automatically say, Roman Catholic and that's where the Humanist Association are saying to people look if you're not practising and you haven't practised and you've no intention of practising that you really if you're answering the question honestly you should put down no religion but anyway John is taking umbrage to the fact that no religion is now at the top rather than at the bottom so your thoughts uh, welcomed on that so it's no thank you John Paul it's no religion the second one then is Roman Catholic followed by Church of Ireland the fourth option is Islam the fifth is Orthodox Christian then Presbyterian are, there's another, there's a section that you can write that so there's seven choices on it but no religion is the number one. Your thoughts on it, John, obviously is not happy with that and I take John from the tone of your comment coming in, you would prefer it to have had no religion at the bottom of the list before the other, well I, well, I think if, if my memory serves me right the no religion was was it before other and then you write in your religion, it could have been. But anyway, you prefer to see it lower down and certainly do not like the fact that it is ahead of Roman Catholic Church and Church of Ireland. Your thoughts welcomed on that 0818 103 103. We were talking about the price of petrol and diesel and the price of fuel and fuel rationing and I don't know if it's still going on this week certainly last week anybody who was looking to get home heating oil were told they could only get uh, 500 litres but you know I think as Kevin pointed out what we don't need is people panic buying because if we panic buy we could then end up in a situation where we start running at short and God knows we should have learned about panic buying we saw it during all the storms with the bread it was ridiculous and certainly 
this time two years ago at the start of the COVID pandemic. Remember the panic buying on toilet rolls? There has to be households to this day that haven't bought a toilet roll in two years. And, and, and I still can't understand the psyche of people thinking we were going to be running out of toilet rolls. But it got to the stage where I remember being in supermarkets and they were limiting, they were rationing the number of toilet rolls that you could buy. So we've learned panic buying is not the way to go. And Martin in Domanway says, look, we're in the middle of March. Even if you need home heating oil, even if you're completely out of home heating oil, realistically, people will be putting their home heating oil oil on for probably the next six weeks at max. So there's no need for anyone to buy a full tank of oil. A half a tank will do anyone at this stage, says Martin. So he agrees. But we, the last thing we need to do is panic buy. And Charlie in Whelan says on petrol and diesel prices that I spoke about, he says diesel 193 for diesel a litre and petrol 186. So petrol is remaining cheaper. Yeah, we looked into that last week because I had even noticed that diesel was always cheaper than petrol. But suddenly with the rising prices, diesel came up at the same price as petrol and then actually went ahead of petrol. And that's to do with supply. It's all down to supply supply and demand and there's just not enough diesel to go around for what is needed and hence the reason that that's why it has gone up. And uh, Liam says, hi Patricia, garages get deliveries before the budget and they're always able to put up the price if there is an increase or an excise cost on the that goes up from midnight on the budget. Well, do all garages. You can't say all garages uh, do that, Liam, but Liam uh, reckons that some do. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862103103. C103 Jobs. With Munster Technological University, enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time, part time, and professional courses. Succeeding together with MTU.ie. Two people are wanted for immediate start. It's to work on the air contract in the West Cork area, 87 The Maryborough House Hotel, they've got vacancies for spa therapists and assistant food and beverage manager. Email a cover note in your CV, please, to mduncliffe at maryborough.ie. Delivery driver wanted, that's for the Hibernian Hotel. CVs to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. And Country Clean, they're currently recruiting drivers and collection crews for refuse collections across Cork City and County. Your contact is brian on 086 382 or you can email brian at countryclean.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. With the rising numbers of COVID-19 cases in the community and the numbers of patients in hospital exceeding 1,000 yesterday with COVID-19 and that's the first time since mid-January. Some of our listeners are questioning if we removed the component compulsory wearing of masks if we did it too quickly. Fine Gael Senator Jerry Bottomer feels it is something we may need to look at again and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Jerry. Good morning, Patricia, and happy St. Patrick's Week. Uh, uh, many happy returns. Uh, did we drop the masks too quickly, especially on public transports and in retail? I think we did personally. Um, I, I'm driven by people like Professor Luke O'Neill, who said at the time of the restrictions being lifted, and let me say this, Patricia, 
all of us craved the lifting of restrictions. Uh, we wanted to return to some type of normality and to get the life that we had back to some shape or form. But Luke O'Neill said it quite well when he said the wearing of masks should continue in appropriate settings, even if the legal requirement is removed. Um, and it has been removed. Um, and I think we should have kept the campaign of mask wearing along with vaccination in situ working. Um, the World Health Organization message is vaccination and mitigation. And the vaccine has worked quite well. And the mitigating factor for us, of course, is the masks, which are a help. And, and the point I want to make before some of your listeners bring in and say, we're not going back to mandatory mask wearing, we're not going back to... And I'm not asking for that. Our vaccination program wasn't mandatory, yet it was one of the most successful in the country because we, 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 we understood the seriousness of the virus and the pandemic hasn't gone away. And we've seen across Europe, across China, um, in Hong Kong, where there's been an increase in the virus again. Uh, that has not gone away. It's a, serious vac- it's a serious virus, which the vaccine helps. But the other mitigation, Patricia, uh, is our wearing of masks and face coverings. And I, I was struck by the TSA, the Transport Safety Towers in America. They have kept for internal flights the mask wearing uh, until sometime in April. So the virus is still infecting people. I accept that you will have medics coming on your program and people will say the ICU numbers are low at 51 yesterday but our hospitalisation is at 1,042. And yes, there are incidental reasons for that as well, but there are an increase in, 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 in the number of cases in hospital. But worrying trend is the rise in the community. It's airborne, as we know, um, and it's, it, has a reprodu- it has a reproductive element that's now quite, that is quite high now again. Um, but the other point I would make then, Patricia, is that it has, it has a knock-on effect on the workforce because people can't go to work. I, I know the rules have changed around self-isolating for from 10 to 7 days and that the whole thing of close contacts has changed. But there are then people, Patricia, who are vulnerable, who are elderly, who are immunocompromised, uh, whom we have an obligation to, and in nursing homes and hospital settings. Would, so you, would just, you have particular concerns around the St. Patrick's Day celebrations later on this week? Well, if you look at we have a perfect storm coming in terms of St. Patrick's Day, double bank holiday weekend, uh, Cheltenham, the Scotland match, uh, and of course, to be fair, uh, it is outdoors in terms of the parade, so I'm not too worried about it, but my appeal is to people, uh, if you heard Jack, uh, Dr. Jack Lambert yesterday, um, who was on, and, and also Kingston Mills um, and, and Sam McConkey, they're, they're talking about that even though COVID is no longer the treasure once was, it is still making people sick, and it's affecting the capacity of hospitals. The one thing I will say is that it's about, in our retail, public transport, certain settings, wearing that mask, that face covering. Um, and I'm not trying to be a killjoy. I'm not trying to be um, making it mandatory or, or being the, the state taking, you know, aim at people. I accept that COVID is no longer the threat it was in terms of the actual illness that it presented once. But it's still affecting people and, mm. and infections yeah. are having an impact. Yeah, and while COVID, you know, please God, for the majority of us, if we got it, is, is a would be a fairly mild uh, illness but we can't forget about the more vulnerable in our community they need to be protected and that's one of the main reasons that we wear masks and, and if you if you talk I have a number of friends of mine who are working in, in, in the um, testing clinics around Cork and, and they will tell you that people are, are presenting to them quite sick there's an increase in the numbers being tested for PCR so the, the infectious nature of the disease 
while it's not having the same impact in society, is having an impact. Um, and, and I think it's important that we have the conversation around mask wearing. Like, for example, my, 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 my point, Patricia, is that our, 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 our vaccine was not mandatory. Yet we had a huge uptake, one of the highest in, in, in Europe and around the world. And it is now uh, protecting us. The evidence is there that it's now protecting us. That is my point. And the World Health Organization speak about vaccination mitigation and the mask wearing is that piece that we should go back to looking at with a, with a campaign around encouraging people. And what I'm asking is, for pe- I'm encouraging people, asking people, advising, advocating that in certain situations, whether it's in shops, whether it's in, 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 in public transport or on public transport, that we will still wear our mask or face covering. Yeah, like, and you, I mean, I know you mentioned China and, and Hong Kong, but case numbers are also rising in many European um, countries. You know, with some saying that this could be, certainly for some of the European countries, the beginning of a fresh wave of the pandemic. Well, that's the worry. But And, and, and <clears throat> I read over the weekend where in certain parts of America there's a new strain coming and I heard the name of it yesterday, which I can't remember now, but uh, that it's coming towards us um, and hopefully it won't be severe. Remember, since, since I suppose since the middle of January, Patricia, we've had the, a, a stream of bad weather. Um, respiratory illnesses are up. Um, we're not in summertime yet. And I would have always had the view that perhaps Easter would have been, would have been maybe a more appropriate time to, to reduce the, the mask wearing. Like, the booster program campaign needs to be increased, in my opinion, to those who are not vaccinated, as you said, to show the, the, the benefits of immunisation and inoculation. Um, and, is there and, a slow you know, uptake of the boosters? Sorry, I didn't is, hear that. Is there a slow uptake with the booster well, shots? Th- there seems to be a kind of a reduction in the numbers to, uh, availing of it, which is a worry. Um, not a worry, but it's a concern, because many of us think that we're, all, we're over the woods now and that you know, we're, we're home free. We're actually not, and and the booster vaccine has shown its success because the number of people, as you said, who have got COVID, who have been less sick with it, is a consequence of the success of our, of our booster and of our vaccine program. The the important point, and and if you heard yesterday, Dr. Catherine Motherway, uh, who didn't advocate going back to wearing masks full time, but was speaking about being a little concerned about the 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 the, the, rate, the rising numbers. Um, our vaccination gives us immunity. Uh, and I would I would encourage people to wear masks. We have a four-day kind of bank holiday weekend. There'll be a lot of people out and about that have necessarily been out and about. Um, and it is about supporting each other. I'm, and I know you have people from retail and hospitality coming on now saying that I'm advocating. I'm not. What I'm encouraging is, in tandem with our vaccination programme, that we would wear masks for indoor settings and for appropriate settings. Yeah, and of course, I was reading the paper today, the majority of parents of primary school children have so far ignored the offer of a COVID vaccine. There's been a very low uptake in the uh, younger children, the um, up to 11-year-olds, the uh, five, to 5 to 11-year-olds. And they yeah, are and, predominantly, and there's a lot of it in the schools. There seems to be, and, and again, it, it negates the successful vaccination programme that we've had, which which did put us on the right trajectory, which allowed for the opening of the country. Because to be fair, if our vaccination program wasn't as successful, we'd have more people infected. They would be getting sicker, ending up in hospital. Um, but the vaccination program has worked, and that's a credit to us as a nation. The booster program, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, could be like the flu jab now, where you know it could be rolled out every year. And and again, our vaccination program with the flu jab is something that I believe 
in, in, in the calendar year of next year, we should have a serious campaign on because it has, again, proven to be successful. Yeah, somebody says, hi, Patricia, my understanding about the COVID hospital admission, uh, admissions figures, over half were admitted uh, with other medical um, issues. Yeah, absolutely. They've come out and said that, that half of, yes. the, of the patients are in. But the problem is that when you get over a thousand patients in hospital with COVID-19 because of the infection control measures, there's a knock on effect to hospitals and the work that hospitals can do. And that's the problem. There's a knock-on effect. And the significant number of cases being reported now does have an impact on society, in the workplace, in our public health. Um, and the severity of these, whilst being, much, whilst being much less than previous strains, is, going to, is causing a, a, an impact and a knock-on effect. Um, and I know the, and, and the hospital cases are linked to incidental, you know, as they describe as incidental. But it does mean that if a patient is tested positive at a you know, they're in hospital. They may be there for something else, but they have been tested positive. Um, and I appreciate that the 41 intensive care is quite low, but I think it's important that we, 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 we advocate and advise about wearing masks. And then, in tandem with that, that we boost our campaign around the, the vaccination programme because we have nearly 7.8 million vaccines administered. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I'm... as you said, quite, sorry, as you said quite rightly, in the 5 to 11 years group, 213,000 have now been vaccinated. Uh, which is less than half of the estimated eligible population. And that's a significant number. And I know there's reticence amongst parents about young children getting vaccinated, but we've used the vaccine for other 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 issues, HPV, measles, you know, and so on, that have been quite, that have been, again, has been quite, quite successful. Yeah, because somebody's saying, but Patricia, vaccines don't protect us as you can still get it. Yeah, well, we worked, we found that out very earlier on, but I saw, um, it was somebody, an infectious disease consultant at Beaumont Hospital, he was saying the fact that we have such low numbers inside in ICU is proof that the vaccinations are holding up in protecting people from very serious illness and that actually a lot of the patients who've been admitted to ICU due to complications, many of them were either unvaccinated or they had, you know, underlying immunity, you know, things like blood cancer, etc. So the fact that the, the ICU numbers are so low is proving that the vaccinations are doing what they set out to do, which is to protect us from very serious illness. OK, Absolutely. listen, listen, Jerry, we leave it uh, there. Thank you for that, and uh, thanks Thank for joining you, us on the program. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Senator Jerry Bottomer uh, joining us. Just not advocating for mass to return, but I think just advocating for for all of us to think of those more vulnerable in society and to try to protect other people, particularly with the rise in the number of uh, cases. I, I was looking at um, figures. It was for last Saturday and Sunday. There was 25,000 people tested positive over last weekend. And actually, that's an undercalculation because there was an extra 2,000 cases which weren't counted in because there were late notifications for Saturday and Sunday and they're actually going to be added on to today's uh, figure. So, about 27,000 people testing positive for COVID 19 last Saturday and Sunday. It ain't gone away. 0818103103. Lines are open. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy. Party Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The family of murdered Limerick businessman Jason Corbett said that they've been overwhelmed by the support that they've received in the US as they face into the retrial of his killers, Tom and Molly Martins. Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent is currently in the States covering last week's pre trial hearing, and Ralph uh, joins me. Good morning, Sir Ralph. 
Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, Tom and Molly Martins, they were convicted of second degree murder back in 2017. Can you just explain why they're out of jail and now the family are facing into this retrial? Yeah, well, what happened in 2017, Patricia, was there was a five-week trial. Tom, who is a retired FBI officer, and Molly, his daughter, who was originally the nanny for Jason Corbett, who, of course, is the Limerick widower. She was the nanny for his two children, and they had began a relationship, and they married in 2011. And Jason Corbett was beaten to death in the bedroom of his home here in North Carolina in August of 2015. And after a five-week trial in the summer of 2017, they were both convicted by unanimous vote of a Davidson County Superior Court jury in North Carolina of Mr. Corbett's second-degree murder. Now, on the day, literally on the day, they were taken into custody to begin sentences of 20 to 25 years. They said they were going to appeal. So that appeal process began and it, it included, in January of 2019, a one-day hearing before the Court of Appeal in North Carolina. The following year, in 2020, that Court of Appeal vote ruled in favour of Tom and Molly Martins and said that, for technical reasons, the judge had erred in law and had hampered their ability to mount an argument of self-defence by refusing to admit certain aspects of testimony which was disputed. Now the state then challenged that Court of Appeal hearing all the way to the North Carolina Supreme Court and last year the North Carolina Supreme Court upheld the verdict of the Court of Appeal and said that the original conviction should be overturned. So what happened for the last year is that there has been toing and froing over whether the Martins would be offered a plea deal. In other words, they might admit a less, lesser charge and accept um, a smaller sentence. Uh, what appears to have happened is that they've indicated they weren't going to spend any more time in prison. And there was a, a remarkable campaign waged again by Jason's sister, and Tracy, her husband Dave, and their family for justice to be seen, to be done, and for a fresh retrial to be staged. So the longer it went on, the more it became apparent that a retrial was going to happen. And what happened on Friday was an administrative or logistical hearing about that retrial. Okay, so that brings us up to where we are. Just on the self-defence claim, uh, Ralph, I mean, you said there in your piece that, you know, Jason Corbett was found beaten to death. I mean, it was unbelievable, the condition that Jason was found in. And if it had been in any way self-defence. Yes. Tom and Molly Martins had no injuries. No, they didn't have a cut. They didn't have a scratch. They didn't have a bruise. The clothing they were wearing wasn't torn. And Molly was wearing a very, very fine filigree piece of jewellery during the entire incident, which she admitted that wasn't damaged. In contrast, Jason Corbett's head was shattered. He was beaten with a metal baseball bat and a heavy concrete paving slab. And such was the damage to his skull that a pathologist, Dr. Craig Nelson, 
said he couldn't accurately count the number of blows. Such was the damage to the my skull. My God, my God. And for Jason's family, um, Ralph, is the thought of a retrial horrendous? It is for a number of different reasons, Patricia. On the one hand, they want a retrial because they want justice to be done for their brother and their, their uncle and their father and whatever. But they know what they now have to go through because they went through the horrors of the 2017 trial. And whereas the 2017 trial lasted for five weeks, the chances are that this trial could last for seven weeks or even longer. And of course, one of the major parts it's likely for this trial is going to be evidence of Jason's two um, children, uh, Jack and Sarah. Who are now, now, yeah, they're now teenagers. They're not. Jack is 15. uh, Sorry, Jack is 17. And Sarah is 15. Of course, another problem for the family is that they had believed, it was indicated to them, that the retrial would likely happen in May and June of this year. Whereas the hearing on Friday did not set a date for the retrial, but it set another date for a second administrative um, hearing, which is going to take place on May the 23rd. So we're not looking at a retrial any time before, I would think, July or possibly even September, October. So it's hanging over... And that's hang, hang, with their education. Yeah, it's hanging over their heads. And Jack and Sarah were in court last uh, Friday. They obviously weren't, they weren't there for the original trial. Did they come no. face to face with Molly Martins? They most certainly did, yeah. Oh. Uh, Tom and Molly Martins were both in court. Now, it was interesting. I sat in the court directly behind the Martins, several seats back, and watched very carefully um, as the two families... The, the, the Corbett family came in um, slightly, no, they may have been in court for some time before the media were allowed in, but while I was there, the Martins came in, they sat at the very front of the court beside their lawyers on the left-hand side um, facing Judge David Hall, who's the judge who's been appointed to handle the retrial, on the right-hand side of the court, and um, Jack and Sarah sat right at the very front of the court, beside um, the prosecutors who are going to handle the state case in the retrial, and they're going to be led by Assistant District Attorney Alan Martin. And it was very interesting. I didn't see Tom and Martin Martin's glance at any point in the direction of the two children. And it was very much the children were there to display the Irish family's support for prosecutors and for their determination to see justice done. And it was very interesting as well, Patricia, one of the unexpected elements of the hearing on Friday was the two of the original jurors, two of the jurors from the 2017 um, trial, turned up in court to show their support for the Irish family. My goodness. Now, my Tom God, Amman my goodness. Was the, wait, wait. He was the foreman of the original jury, and Nancy Perez, people might remember, some of your listeners might have remembered the original coverage of the trial, when they displayed the pathology photographs on the wall, one of the jurors in the original trial physically got sick. I remember that. And that was this lady, Nancy Perez. And And after the hearing on Friday, those two jurors went over to the Irish family outside the courthouse and embraced them. Wow. Will Jack and Sarah give evidence, do you think, in the retrial? Yes, they will. Um, Because what's going to happen is the retrial is going to see the defence teams introduce the evidence um, involving statements made by Jack and Sarah to North Carolina Social Services from August 
allowed inter in the first trial. And what's going to happen is the Irish family are going to allow or going to support the prosecutors by allowing Jack and Sarah to give evidence about those statements and about any other issues that the prosecutors want to inter, inter in terms of the relationship between um, Molly Martins and Mr. Corbett and also the relationship between Tom Martins and Mr. Corbett. And of course, there was famous evidence in the first trial that Tom Martins really, really disliked his mm. Irish son-in-law. Oh, yeah. And how are um, Jack and Sarah and of course uh, Tracy, Jason's uh, sister, who's been absolutely amazing in all of this. And you uh, got to know Tracy really well because you co-wrote that brilliant book, uh, My Brother Jason, uh, with her. How, how, are they all, how are they all doing, Ralph? Um, they're holding up um, Patricia, but it's been a very, very difficult time for them. I mean, the judge made some very strong comments about media coverage on Friday. So none of the two families made any comments to the media following the hearing. But what I can tell you is that it has been a very, very difficult um, two years for the family. They were absolutely devastated that the original conviction was overturned. And then they had the lengthy delays caused by COVID, the pandemic's impact on the judicial system over here. And really having to see the children take part in the retrial has been very upsetting for them. But they are a remarkable family. They've drawn tremendous strength from public support. The, the support demonstrated by ordinary people here in the United States towards them has been nothing short of astonishing. And I think the family have, have taken comfort from that and they've drawn strength from that. And they are truly an astonishing family. They have incredible reserves of determination and they have never lost sight of the fact that what they want from this entire process is justice for Jason. Yeah, that's what it's all about. That's what it's, Will they go back over again in May? I would think it's likely. I don't know for sure, um, Patricia, because what might happen on May the 23rd is that there might be some pre-trial submissions and they could turn out to be quite important. There were no submissions made by, any, by the prosecutors or by the defence legal team on Friday. It was really to do with the, the, the preparedness of both legal teams for the retrial. We learned that there was almost um, 8,000 um, pages of files, documents, had been disclosed to the defence teams. And what will likely happen on day the 23rd is we'll get a date for the retrial and we may get some submissions about the handling of specific items of evidence. OK. All right. Um, I know you're heading back, I think, today. Is it or tomorrow? You're, you're, you're flying yeah, home? Yeah, hope, hope okay. to be back tomorrow. Okay. And can I just say we missed you on a Friday night because Ralph was one of the recipients of the Pride of uh, Cork Awards but can I say your gorgeous wonderful mother did you so proud on Friday night well, Thank you and thank you for being so kind to her because she was absolutely thrilled to meet yourself and Miriam O'Callaghan on the night and I've got it it was the one evening that uh, I'd love to have been there but it did clash with North Carolina yes, and, and, I, and I had to be here You had important work to do Safe travels back Ralph and we'll speak again Thanks Richard and thanks a million for joining us. That is uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. And by the way, his book, if you haven't read it, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's an unreal read. Um, my brother Jason that he co-wrote with uh, Tracy uh, Corbett and um, Jason's brother, Jason's sister, my apologies. And it's available uh, from Gill and uh, Macmillan. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently
currently closed. And uh, someone is pointing out when I was interviewing Ralph Regal in the last hour about Jason Corbett and the retrial that's uh, expected to happen at some time now. It looks like it's going to be later this year. And I mentioned that Ralph is, you know, so well up to date on this particular story. He's taken such an interest in it, including he co-wrote a book called My Brother Jason, along with Jason Corbett's sister, Tracy. And it's Tracy, of course, now who is raising... um, Jason's two beautiful children, Jack and uh, Sarah. And it's a, uh, Dennis in Oxford has said, Patricia, that book, My Brother Jason, is still available on Amazon. It's an excellent read. Yeah, it's a, it is really, really a powerful read if people didn't read it first time round. Thank you for that, um, Dennis, and hope you're keeping well in uh, Oxford. Now, Heidi was on to us. This was something I mentioned yesterday when I was telling people and a number of listeners had said to me, make sure you tell people that holding the it's the TV adaptation of the the first book wasn't holding the first book. It was by uh, Graham Norton and the TV adaptation started last night on ITV and there was much excitement in West Cork around Dream League and Castle Townsend. Lots of excitement when the the TV series was recorded last year and of course we were putting out so many shout outs for extras because they wanted to get as many local people as they could involved so and a lot of local people would have featured so I'd say there was great excitement watching it in parts of West Cork last night as people tried to see There I Am or trying to see Auntie Mary or Uncle Johnny up there on the screen. So the first episode was last night. It's four parts in total and it is going to be shown at some stage. We just can't get a date. It will also be shown on Virgin Media. So I'm interested in your thoughts. If you did sit down to watch it last night, it was on, as I say, ITV at nine o'clock. Heidi did. And Heidi said, I watched Graham Norton, the first episode. It was not what I thought it would be. To me, I... It came across as a Garda not effective. Women who were drunks, not at all what Irish ladies are, strong, independent ladies. It was nice, though, to see the countryside and it was nice to see West Cork and Trimmer League. What do you and your listeners think of it? I don't think I'll watch the rest of it, says uh, Heidi. OK, I, I watched it. Now, I have to say, I'm going to have to, because I had to watch it on ITV on the extra channels on Sky, so I wasn't able to record it. So I'm going to have to, certainly when it comes back out on Virgin Media, watch the first episode, record or watch the first episode again. I did, I watched most of it, but unfortunately, Marsha was being a bit bothersome and looking for this and looking for that. So when you're trying to concentrate on a programme, nigh on impossible. So about 20 minutes of it, I was completely lost and kind of missed about 20 minutes of it. But what I saw of it, I actually enjoyed, I have to say. I agree with you. The countryside looked beautiful. Dreamer League, West Cork looked absolutely stunning. Thought the acting was incredible from all of them. I had read the book I, for the life of me, though, I can't remember the storyline other than I knew that a body had been found and all of that. I do remember that. And I do remember the guard uh, and he's coming up to retirement and, you know, struggling is in his last uh, few years. But I certainly what I saw of it, Heidi, I have to say I enjoyed and I will watch the next three episodes for sure. But I know John Paul dug out commentary that came from the UK last night when it was shown. I take it a lot of this possibly went up on Twitter last night and on social media. And you 
UK viewers struggled with the Cork accents. And the one thing I was fearful of as I sat down to watch it was I was saying, how are they going to handle the Cork accents here? And I was hoping that it wasn't going to be very twee. And I don't think it didn't come across as very twee. And I thought they nailed the Cork accents personally. I thought the Cork accents uh, were uh, quite good. Somebody on social media says, I was really looking forward to this series because it was such a great cast. But I have to say, now this is someone in the UK, I had to put on the subtitles to follow the dialogue. The accents are really Really strong. Another said, oh my God, what a load of rubbish that was. I managed somehow to get through 30 minutes and I couldn't stand any more of it. The accents were hard to understand too. Uh, someone else then said, was happy to hear the Cork accents on UK TV. Says, can't express how inspiring it was hearing Cork accents and seeing beautiful West Cork where I spent every summer of my ch- childhood. There's somebody who really, really uh, enjo- enjoyed it. And then someone else said, blooming lovely. Uh, thanks to a great script and lovely performances so certainly online there was mixed reviews and a lot of the mixed reviews was to do with the with the accent did people I, I was, was we here in Cork we didn't I didn't certainly didn't notice the, the accents were hard to understand but maybe if you're watching it in England maybe the Cork accent was a little bit strong anyway your thoughts on it it didn't float Heidi's boat for sure and she's not going to go back to it which is a real real pity 0818 103 103 Okay, what else is coming in to us? I'm panic buying when I spoke about panic buying of oil and that's one of the reasons that they're limiting the amount of oil that people can buy in home heating and heating on it's just a fear factor if everything starts to panic buy then we will end up with shortage Mary says I heard you mention panic buying you couldn't get flour in the supermarket at the weekend surely though it's a small price to pay when you think of the suffering that's going on in the the Ukraine says Mary I'm glad you mentioned that because I was in a supermarket on Saturday and one of the guys who works there who I'd know you know from being in and out of the supermarket said to me did you get flour? And I said I, I didn't and he says we're out of flour and I said why? He said they're panic buying flour and I said really? And he said yeah he said you, they just could not keep flour in and he said he was speaking to somebody else in another supermarket that three times on the Friday had gone to their local cash and carry to get more flour just to just to stock up Okay, we know the flour is going to go up for sure, but I don't know about stockpiling flour. I mean, there's a sell-by date, isn't there, on flour? I mean, there's the, that's the big worry and the danger. If you buy something that's a perishable item, you'd want to make sure that there's a good sell-by date on it or else you'd want to be making a lot of bread. I, unfortunately... It's been many, many years since I baked my own bread, so I didn't have a need of buying flour. But And that's not that we're running out of flour. That's literally down to people panic buying. People now are stockpiling flour. And if more and more people stockpile it, that's what happens. We end up then not having enough in the shops for people who need to buy the flour to bake their bread next uh, week. So yes, Mary, I did notice that as well. Sheila says, Patricia, on the the price of oil and people giving out because they're only able to get a half a tank of oil. Sheila says, I haven't been able to afford a 
fill of oil since before Christmas. So what do I do? I keep one room warm. I use an electric heater. It needs to be on for only 15 minutes every hour. I wear extra couple of layers of clothing and I have a nice rug over my knees. I eat plenty of soups and stews and old-fashioned stodgy puddings. I'm as snug as a bug in a rug. And thankfully, I didn't get COVID and that we haven't got the weather or the troubles that they have in Ukraine. We all need to start counting our blessings, says uh, Sheila. How right you are, uh, Sheila. And I think since the whole situation in Ukraine, more and more times I think of that if I'm at home and it's the house is warm or I've just had a nice meal or I've gone to the supermarket and I've come back laden with all of the shopping and I'm unpacking at a job I absolutely hate doing. And last Saturday when I am unpacked my big shopping I said I'm not going to hate doing this today I'm going to be thankful for the fact that I was able to go to a supermarket I was able to get all the items I needed they were all on the shelves I was able to come back into my car and I was able to drive home and now I was going to unpack it all and put it into the cupboards and we can we have so much to be thankful for when you see and witness what we're seeing and witnessing in Ukraine. So well said, Sheila. Thank you for that. And good to know that you're keeping yourself nice and snug and warm and that you have been thankful that you haven't got uh, COVID. And I'm I'm with you on that as well and that I haven't got COVID, even though I've just, is it only me? But I'm hearing of so many people either recovering from COVID or down with COVID. It's almost becoming a very small group that hasn't picked up COVID because it does absolutely seem to be everywhere. And even for everyone who's doing all of the right things, it's almost getting to the stage where where it's hard to avoid it. I mean, I spoke about 27,000 cases testing positive on Saturday and Sunday. And someone else is, John from Roscommon is picking up on that, saying, Patricia, there was the 27,000 cases between Saturday and Sunday. There was over 10,000 cases for yesterday, Monday. Wait until next week. We'll have rugby stadium full. There's a game there's a game in Killarney last Saturday that was full. We've got the Paddy's weekend all the pubs full. We've people heading over to Cheltenham. Look what happened two years ago when they all went to Cheltenham. The cases were through the roof and then we've the rugby match on next weekend. We'll be heading for another lockdown says John from Roscommon. Well I disagree with you on that John. We won't be heading for an, another lockdown. And the one thing you have to remember if you're comparing us to this time two years ago and you're right there was a huge amount of COVID came back because of Cheltenham and there was rugby matches on and all of that and I think the powers that be in hindsight look back and say there was decisions wrong decisions made and that they should have stopped people going to Cheltenham and all of that the big big difference from two years ago from March of 2020 to March of 2022 the big difference is is the huge amount of this country that have been fully vaccinated including people who went and got their boosters and as I mentioned earlier I was giving out some of the stats to do with the numbers of people that are in hospital and the numbers of people that are in ICU and I read a quote from and he is an infectious disease consultant at Beaumont Hospital in Dublin a guy by the name of Owen DeBarra and he was saying that the low numbers that are in ICU is absolute 100 proof that vaccinations are holding up because vaccinations are protecting people from the from the virus from very serious illness and he actually said now that inside of the ICU hospitals they are very rarely seeing inflammation of the lung tissue which is a form of pneumonia 
in COVID-19 positive patients that they were seeing a huge amount at at the start of the pandemic and that a lot of the patients now that are admitted to ICU uh, due to complications of the virus are in the main. People who are unvaccinated are unfortunately people of underlying health conditions and underlying, you know, immunocompromised. The people that we mentioned, the reason why we should all be wearing masks to try to stop the spread of COVID-19 because there are people even with vaccinations, but if they have a very low immune system are immune compromised they are the ones that can end up in ICU so they are the ones they are the reason that there's a big encouragement from the likes of all of the different immunologists uh, Luke O'Neill um, etc Kingston Mills that's why they're saying to people please the fit and the healthy amongst us wear your masks because even if we do pick up COVID more, it'll be just you know for some people I had a friend of mine lately who got COVID and I said how, how did you get on she said I didn't even know I had it it was just that she had decided to do an antigen test because she had been out somewhere where there was you know a large group of people little like when I was out on Friday night I did an antigen test before I went and I did another antigen test at the weekend and I actually antigen test again yesterday before I came into work just to make sure because it had been my first time out with a large group of people but I was fine but for most healthy people you're not that un- unwell but it's the people who are immune compromised that they're the ones that we have to try and uh, protect so no John even if the numbers go through the roof and even if we I mean 27,000 cases over Saturday and Sunday and then 11,000 yesterday even if those numbers keep up and go higher next week as long as we can protect the most vulnerable and hopefully they won't end up in in hospital but it's the worry now with the over the thousand patients who have ended up in hospital with COVID. Again, as somebody pointed out, 50% of those were actually admitted for another illness and then it turned out that they either got COVID or it was discovered that they had COVID uh, while in hospital. But the problem then is, if you get diagnosed with COVID while you're in hospital, you've got all the infection control measures. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
that ends up putting closures on beds and it puts hospitals under more pressure so there is a knock-on effect uh, from it. Thank you for your text uh, John. Totally agree with Senator Jerry Bottomer who you had on the programme uh, yesterday. I also feel that masks should be back and worn in schools and uh, colleges. I think they removed the masks uh, too uh, quickly. So people are still uh, not that happy with what happened with the masks and the removal of the masks. And then a listener who literally, if I go back to all of our texts from day one, has been against the wearing of masks. This is one of the people who, for whatever reason, I don't know whether it's a medical issue, finds it difficult to wear a mask and says, what about somebody that can't? If this mask thing is going to come back again, I'll be locked down again. I am now getting on with my life. Sorry, this is starting again just because the bank holidays are coming up. But I don't think there's any talks of there being a compulsory nation, a compulsory um, mandate for mask wearing what they're asking people those of us that can wear masks they're asking us to please wear them and you know and I know you struggled with masks but as I said and I'm sure I said it to you a few times when you sent in uh, texts there are people who find it very difficult for breathing with the wearing of masks but there was visors there was absolutely other things that you could do there was no reason that anyone should have been locked down just because you felt you couldn't go out because you couldn't wear a mask you could have worn a visor instead there were other ways around it. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now NCBI are holding a network meeting tomorrow Wednesday and it's to help the blind and the visually impaired work with people in their local community to break down barriers that they're facing in their area. If you'd like to attend, you can register online at www.ncbi.ie or you can call 1-800-911-250. Whitegate Residents Association are holding a St. Patrick's Day Parade this Thursday. That's starting at half past 12. While Carrick Tuchel, St. Patrick's Day Parade, that'll start at 1.15. Prizes for the best community float, best window display and best dressed person of the day. There is a party for St. Patrick's Day that's going to be held in the St. Vincent de Paul rooms in Charleville next Thursday between 2 and 4. Teas, coffees and prizes for all senior citizens. And this St. Patrick's Day, they're going to have a Ukraine Day in Kilbritton. Join the family 5k walk or run that starts at 11.30 in Kilbritton. Wear the colours, wear your colours and register at Anne's Salon. All proceeds going to the Kilbritton Red Cross Ukrainian Crisis Appeal. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. Now, just to go through some of your calls and texts that come in before we go to Joe Heffern. And I mentioned the census earlier because this was a call in from John, who is upset on the census form. It's question number 12 where they ask, What is your religion, if any? And the top, the number one, is no religion, then followed by Roman Catholic, Church of Ireland, Islam, Orthodox, Christian, Presbyterian, are number seven. You can write in any other. Uh, religion. And John has taken umbrage and reckons that the no religion should be bottom the way it always was but the Central Statistics Office who have an advisory group to put together on the census, they took 
they took soundings, representatives from various organisations and they decided that they would run with the no religion because as I mentioned earlier, the last census in 2016, there was a huge increase, a 73.4% increase in the number of people who put down no religion. And after the 2016 census, the second largest ca- category behind Roman Catholic was no religion. So they decided to put no religion at the top. John doesn't agree with that. Some comments in on that. Irene Formoy says, I don't go to Mass every week, but I still class myself as Roman Catholic. So I'll be ticking the box that says Roman Catholic. I don't think it should matter where the order of the box lies. If you are a certain religion, then you tick it no matter where the box is. Martina Skibberine says, I'll be ticking the Church of Ireland box. And it should make a difference, the order of preference. I know many of my friends who are Catholic, they don't attend Mass, but they still would go to a church and say a prayer. So they too would be ticking a box with a religion and they'll plump for Catholic. Just because a person doesn't go to Mass said by a priest or a service said by a minister doesn't mean there are any le- they don't think any less of their religion. And someone else says the same thing. I'm not a practising Catholic but I do class myself as Catholic. Just because somebody doesn't go to church doesn't mean that they don't believe in God and that they are not a Catholic. Yeah and it's like you fill in the senses. It's what's what's true for you what's true in your heart I mean if if you're not a practicing Catholic but you still you still declare yourself as a Catholic then of course you put down Roman Catholic the point I was the point I was making is there's a campaign encouraging people to tick the no religion box and we might I might get John Paul to uh, make contact with this group and, and we might have a, a chat with them. We won't get to this this week. We, we, we certainly will try and get to them before the actual census night. It's the Humanist Association of Ireland and they're calling on people that they say that are not practising and who are not religious that if you're honest to yourself, then you should put down no religion on it. Whereas traditionally, I think people, because they were christened Catholic, even though they may not have practised for years, they will just automatically tick the Roman Catholic box. But it's completely all of the senses. It's You've got to be honest when you're filling in the senses form. Nobody is telling people just because they don't go to Mass every week that they have to tick the no religion box. As I say, John is just upset about the fact that it's the number one choice rather than it being at the bottom of the uh, list. Now, also a lot of people on about the rising cases of uh, COVID. Somebody, John and Cove says the St. Patrick's Day should be uh, cancelled. We'll not let list and the risk. Well, I've heard all of the immunologists saying the St. Patrick's Day Parade are probably one of the safest places because they're going to be outside. There is a spread, but it seems to be indoors. But remember, we're back again to the fact, even though people are worried about the rise in the COVID uh, cases, people are not getting that sick. And that's down to the fact that people have had their vaccines. So, you know, take comfort from that, even though we are seeing, unfortunately, an increase. Take comfort from the fact that you're vaccinated and if you've had your booster on top of it, you're even more protected from getting very unwell. We know and we found that out very early on in the vaccine campaign. The vaccine doesn't stop you getting COVID-19, but it stops you becoming very unwell and needing hospitalisation and God forbid, needing to end up in ICU. And we mentioned the refugees that are coming into this country and we spoke with the Red Cross who are giving advice to people, particularly those people who have registered an interest to either offer up their home in a spare bedroom
bedroom or to give a vacant property and the Red Cross blown away by the 15,000 offers. They reckon the offers have gone over 20,000 because there are other charities and locally, people locally are, you know, if a Ukrainian family are coming into an, an area uh, and they're going to stay with a family, you know, relatives, for example, if the relatives know of another house that's free or another house that is a bedroom free, people are opening up their homes uh, like that. A couple of people are still on about that. In particular, people are focusing in on the fact that the, in England, they announced this week that they're giving £350 a month to anyone who takes in a Ukrainian person or family um, for what are the Irish government uh, going to do. Can I just say the difference in the, U- the UK are giving this £350 to the household. It isn't per person, it's it's per if you open up your home uh, to a Ukrainian a refugee. From what I can gather from it, from the difference there is in Ireland when a Ukrainian family arrive, if they arrive without any means and the majority of them are literally arriving with the clothes on their back, they then are entitled to a social welfare payment. So an individual will get the social welfare payment and if they have any children they'll be paid the very same way as if they're unemployed in this country. Now they also will be open, they'll be allowed to work as well. From what I can gather in the UK when they arrive, they will be entitled to work but the only ones that are entitled to claim social welfare in the UK are people who are sponsored by somebody and then they get a visa to remain there for three years which is very different because war refugees are coming they don't want to remain in this country they just want to stay and be safe until the war is over and that's why the Red Cross are asking people to commit for six months they don't expect it to be any more than six months and if the if the people themselves had their way they would arrive this week and they'd be gone home next week because that's for the majority of them they simply want to be at home and just on the refugees somebody asked me earlier where's that here it is this text gone asked me to give a shout out on behalf of the Duhalo Vintage they're holding a coffee morning in aid of the humanitarian disaster in the Ukraine it's happening next Sunday morning from 11am to 3 in Drum Tariff Hall all money donations gratefully received on the day there'll be a display of vintage classic and retro cars all types of cars and motorbikes are welcome all donations going directly to the Irish Red Cross and you're please asked to support so that's the Dohalo Vintage Drum Tariff Hall and that is happening next Sunday and Anne says Patricia do you know where I can buy Ukrainian flags or stickers stickers in Mallow. I'm not seeing any colours in shop windows to support Ukraine. We need to show visual signs of solidarity. Well, well, I don't know if anybody's selling Ukrainian flags. I do know if you can get into kind of a, a haberdashery shop, anyone that's doing ribbons. There seemingly a lot of haberdashery shops are doing a great sale on blue and yellow ribbons and you could just make a little ribbon yourself. Don't know if anybody is selling Ukrainian flags. I did see a little girl on, on it wasn't here in Mallow now, I don't know where she was, somewhere up the country, where she was making flags herself and selling them as a fundraiser. Does anybody know of Ukrainian flags for sale or ribbons for sale, particularly in the Mallow area and is interested in purchasing same. 0818 103 103. Let's take a break and we're back with Joe Heffernan. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
Let's put a quick shout out for Esther who's contacted us. She was listening to me talking about people panic buying flour last weekend. Esther says, well, I can't get wheat germ. I've been trying for weeks. I even rang, says Esther, Odlum's Bakery. And they say they're out of it at the moment. I use it when making brown bread. So Patricia, I'd love to know if any of you listeners have come across wheat germ in any supermarkets. If so, could they let us know, please, so that Esther can rush out and get her wheat germ for her delicious brown bread. If anybody can help us with that, 0818103103. Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we are continuing to pick up. We started this last week and this is to do with uh, relationships and unfortunately a lot to do with COVID and lockdowns and people just leading stressful lives over the last uh, two weeks and a ra- two years and a rise in the number of people uh, going for counselling. So we're talking about relationships and tips that help to make a stronger relationships, a stronger relationship. And we got through kind of the first seven tips last week. So we're moving it on. And one of your suggestions, uh, keep things lighthearted. Yeah, I suppose like in this day and age, God knows, like we need to have a bit of a sense of humour. Um, uh, I'd be the first to agree that there isn't an awful lot to laugh at in the world at the moment. But um where we can lighten things up a bit, I think we should. I remember reading in a book one time, um, uh, it was a, a factual book, and um, uh, there was this person, and they were in a home, in their own home. Uh, there was a lot of, um, you're a trouble and strife, we'll say, but they used to pass this other house, and they regularly would hear laughter. And, um, you know, what was written, and I would agree with it 100%, that that was a good, uh, warm home to be a part of because um, uh, the laughter that could be heard was a sign that, you know, people were getting on well and that that it wasn't all uh, gloom and doom. And uh, maybe with the way the world is going at the moment, that we can be a bit bloom and doom. But, you know, um, we need, when we can and when it's appropriate, um, that we can, uh, you know, that we can lighten things up a bit too, uh, that we don't get completely bogged down um, Yeah, because it's very hard to argue with somebody if you're laughing with them or at them at the same time. Yeah. 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 You're saying that... And to maybe make an old joke like where, where... you know, um, uh, I know it was hard to laugh at now, like at the time, but I mean, when I broke the blooming cooker, um, you're sure we'd have laugh about it too. Yeah. Um, uh, which kind of took the, the sting out of it. Uh, <laughs> and, you, and, anyway. and, you, and you'd be laughing at it in five years' time, it'll be remembered, and, and you'd be really laughing about it. Now, yeah. you're, you're also saying um, be reasonable. Well, I think this is very important. Um, you know, to have, like, realistic expectations of the other person. Um, uh, we're, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And um, instead of kind of, like, pointing out the mistakes all the time to, um, you know, maybe, again, maybe back to the sense of humor that, um, you know, uh, unless that something is absolutely dire, um, that, you know, that we can see a funny side uh, in things. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, to be reasonable. Um, And then I think one of the most important ones, being self-aware. Absolutely. Um, You know, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses. Um, it's, It's very good to know our own, especially. We need to know our strengths and weaknesses. And it's good to know the strengths and weaknesses with the other person. I mean, there are things you would ask the other person to do that you know um, not a problem, that that they're good at that. And then there are other things that, um, you know, you know that the person has a special aversion, we'll say, uh, to that. So just to be reasonable and to be self-aware, to know what's, um, uh, you know, what's reasonable and what it maybe isn't. Yeah. And people who are optimistic, usually in relationship yeah, is quite cool if you've got people who are we optimistic. Were going to yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, to you know, to have reasonable the positive expectations, um, to kind of uh, to expect the old day to be good when we wake up in the morning, and um, and to expect that things will work out. Um, there are problems um, in every family, um, but. Uh, to kind of view them with uh, what we'll call solution-focused rather than um, folding under the pressure to say, yeah, we could try that now or we could do that. And that would probably, um, that might solve that problem. Um, And and to try not to focus every day on... um, uh, on on the problems, um, you know, uh, the odd time to even say something in the line of gratitude, you know, that um, let the glass be half full, yeah, instead of half yeah. empty. Even in the shocking weather, like to kind of say, well, isn't it great to have a roof over our heads and to be able to watch a bit of telly and 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 that the place is warm. Well, you know, someone earlier sent in a text about that, about saying, you know, with everything that's going on in the world in in Ukraine. We have so much to be thankful for when you look, what is it, a two and a half hour, three hour plane journey from Ireland and look what they're going through. So like, we do have we do have a lot to be thankful and optimistic uh, about. Now, people in, in, in stronger relationships take responsibility for themselves. Yeah, yeah. The, um, that uh, we need to look after ourselves also as an individual. Um, that, uh, you know, if it suits me to do a certain thing that will add a bit of um, uh, a bit of lightness to my day, that um, it doesn't necessarily have to be that the other person um, would like that as well. Um, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it can be something as simple as um, uh, maybe a trip to the cinema, and if the other person isn't in the mood and... Uh, uh, doesn't uh, want to go maybe to that particular film because it might be kind of content that they wouldn't enjoy, I can still go. The other person can still go to a thing that uh, that I wouldn't be interested in and I can go to something that maybe the other person wouldn't be interested in. Mm. And, um, you know, the join that the hip is not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily um, healthy. Yeah, we and need kind to be of, individuals. Yeah, and it kind of, t- you know, leads on to, you know, a, a relationship in trouble. Um, emotionally abusive, manipulative or controlling. That's just exactly oh, what yeah. you don't want to in be, a relationship. To be avoided, to be avoided. Um, 
you know, um, not to be over critical, um, uh, you know, have a good word to say now and again. Um, be able to um, acknowledge that the other person has done something which is helpful and good. Um, and to say, just say things like, well, we'd never have done that now, only that you, did, you know, said or did such a thing. And, um, and to show that bit of appreciation. Um, uh, and in other words, like to be generous like that. Yeah. And they're generous mm-hmm. with their time and their resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, to work as a team, that um, uh, it's not all about uh, me, it's not all about the other person, it's about working together. together. And, yeah. and the next two are kind of, uh, kind of work together as well. They're dependable and they're supportive. Of each, and, and that's important in a good relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, when when health was better and when things were good, like, and if I said uh, uh, to my good wife, Mary, if I said, like, look, it's, it's absolutely vital, it's totally vital uh, that you would drive to Galway um, uh, tomorrow, uh, I'm completely stuck, etc., I know well that not a bother that uh, that would be done, and that's a wonderful um, uh, friendship and uh, support uh, to have in life. You know, um, and nothing likewise, nothing is too much to ask of the other person. Nothing is too much, yeah. and if it can be done, it will, will be, be done. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and that then and work to both ways. and to put consistent effort into relationship. You do have to work at relationships. Well, you do. Um, uh, I mean, uh, uh, just like I said there now, that if something needs to be done and if one can do it, well then, um, you know, that that it works both ways, that the other person uh, will, um, uh, you know, will will comply with a reasonable request and that one is willing uh, himself or herself uh, also, mm. to um, be willing that it's the kind of attitude. Look, if there's something I can do, I'll I will do it. Do it. I'll do yeah. it. Okay. The the next one is an obvious one. People are honest and and trustworthy. Being able to say sorry is an important. I, one. I think that's a big one, and and to mean it. Um, uh, I I you know I I would have heard here and there a, a person might say. Um, to me, yeah, I'm fed up of him saying sorry all the time and then does the same thing again and says sorry again. And okay, but I'm talking about a genuine, a genuine apology where a person is really, really sorry I made, yeah, I made, for having uh, yeah. upset the other person. I'm, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yada, 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 yeah. yada. And then obviously, if you've got a good relationship, they're your best friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um uh, I, I, I often see that in, in obituaries, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, wife and best friend, or husband and well, best friend. And it's lovely to see it. Yeah. Yeah, it really yeah. is lovely to see it. OK, yeah. listen, we've got to wrap it up there. We'll talk to you again next week. Enjoy the long weekend. Long, long weekend. And thanks yeah. uh, for joining us. We'll chat next Tuesday.
We will indeed. Thanks, Joe. Bye bye. Okay. Joe Heffernan runs a counselling practice in Boherbui. He can be contacted on mobile 086 Couple of texts to get through before we go. Esther wasn't it was looking for wheat germ. Somebody Clanakilty listener says wheat germ hasn't been in shops for quite some time. Someone is suggesting Weetabix, which is whole grain wheat. Could you break up Weetabix and use them instead of wheat germ? I don't know. I'm not a baker, but maybe it's something that could be tried. And then someone else says wheat germ. Very likely if Esther goes into a health shop, she should be able to pick up wheat germ. And actually, I think somebody else made by text made a similar uh, suggestion. It says, hi, uh, Patricia, tell Esther if she's in the Mallow area that wheat germ is available or is often available in the granary in Mallow. That's a health shop. She should be able to get it there. Case says, Hi Patricia, Vibes and Scribes on Bridge Street in Cork have wool in the Ukrainian colours. If people wanted to knit, little flags are knit ribbons, you know, or make up little headbands or something uh, by knitting them. Breathe in Mallow says that the Rebel Coffee Shop opposite the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow, they have, they're selling Ukrainian flags. Okay, all right, thank you for that. And the listener looking for it was in the, Anne was in the Mallow area. And Morris says some GAA clubs will have flags that are in the Ukrainian colours. And the obvious one that springs to mind is, of course, the Tipperary colours are the same as the Ukrainian flag. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we'll be back with you for the last one of the week tomorrow, Wednesday. Talk to you at 10. Court today on C103. Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.